Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are learning about Zephaniah, the ninth minor prophet. But before we do that, let's review the other eight so we can remember what makes each unique. Hosea married the harlot to represent the unfaithfulness of Israel to the Lord, but it also shows the Lord's Hesed love, his faithful covenantal love back to Israel. Joel prophesied about the plague of locusts, which was to call the people back to the Lord before the day of the Lord comes. Amos preached, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream as he was preaching about social justice and true worship. Obadiah prophesied against the nation of Edom, who were descendants of Esau because of their vengeful treatment of Jerusalem and Judah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, but he refused, ran the other way, got swallowed by a fish, and after three days and nights in the belly of the fish, only then did he say, fine, I will fulfill my vow. The fish vomited him unto dry land. He preached to Nineveh. They repented, and Jonah was mad. Micah was the prophet which covered over 700 years of prophecies about Assyria, Babylon, the exile, the return to Jerusalem, and then that one who would be born in Bethlehem. Nahum preached the sermon that Jonah wanted to preach, the judgment to Nineveh of Assyria because of their destruction of Israel, damage to Judah, and everywhere else they went. Number eight was Habakkuk, the questioner of God. It is a theodicy, a defense of God. In other words, if God is sovereign, why does he allow evil in the world? He asked, why, 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 and how long? The Lord showed him the burden or the oracle which included the invasion of Babylon, and he was humbled. He learned that the righteous live by faith through good and bad times. Now on to number nine, Zephaniah. Verse one of chapter one states, the word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah. At least we have a little bit more information with this introduction. Let's start at the end of the line. In the days of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah. Josiah reigned around 641 to 609 BC. The northern tribes were wiped out at this time. So Zephaniah was the prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom. The story of King Josiah is told in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34 to 35. His dad Amon was evil. And when he died, Josiah was only eight years old. It was during his reign that they cleaned up the temple and found the lost book of the law and revival happened in the land. He took down idols and reinstated Passover. 
The rest of verse 1 gives names of Zephaniah's forefathers, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. Now it doesn't say King Hezekiah, but it seems likely that Zephaniah's great-great-grandpa was King Hezekiah, which would make him a relative or a cousin to King Josiah. Since it was the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, that makes him then a prophet of the Lord. Thankfully, verse 1 covers the who, what, when, and where of our story, but not the why. According to Dr. Betts, the key words for Zephaniah are judgment and restoration in the day of the Lord. He also shared that the key verses are chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And I want to add verse 16, which say, Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. He also said chapter 2 verse 3 is another key verse. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Interesting that the word used here is hidden and Zephaniah's name means the Lord hides. These verses show us the why. The day of the Lord is coming soon and it will impact not just Judah, but the surrounding nations and their only hope is to seek the Lord and humble themselves before him. Now it's time to look at the scriptures. Chapter 1 is about the day of wrath that's coming upon Judah. Verses 2 and 3 may be a prophecy that has not been fulfilled until the end times. They read, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, describes the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds in the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Verses 4 through 6, the Lord will stretch out his hand against Judah because of their idolatry and their idolatrous priest who turned away from the Lord. In verses 7 through 13, the Lord commands them to be silent before him. He has prepared a sacrifice and a punishment is coming. Verse 12 says, It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit and who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. My Hebrew Greek key study Bible said in its introduction to Zephaniah, the description of God searching Jerusalem with lamps formed the basis of the way that Zephaniah was represented in medieval art. He is looking for those who have turned away from the Lord, and they even thought that God was no longer active in history. And then in verses 14 through 18, which I read earlier, my study Bible said, To this Zephaniah responded with the strongest development of the theme of the day of the Lord to be found in the prophets. Chapter 2 begins with a call to gather themselves together before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon them. Then the second key verse is a call to seek the Lord, seek righteousness, and humble themselves before him. 
As Dr. Betts said in class, there is hope for those who repent in this strong message of judgment. We see a message of God's call to his people to repent. The rest of chapter 2 deals with other nations and their judgments against them because, verse 10, they have taunted and become arrogant against the people of the Lord of hosts. Verse 11 says that the Lord will be terrifying to them, for he will starve all the gods of the earth and they will bow down to him, everyone from his own place. As with other prophetic books which proclaim judgment upon other nations, most of them are ones that surrounded Israel and Judah from north, south, east, and west. Chapter 3 starts with, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city. He's talking of Jerusalem and then Judea in verses 1 through 7. As with other prophetic books, the princes, judges, prophets, and priests have acted wickedly, and they will be judged. In verse 5, we are reminded why the Lord is bringing this judgment. The Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. The Lord is judging the unjust because he is just. Verses 8 through 11 is a transition. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. We are called to wait for the Lord. Then verse 9, For then I will give to the peoples purified lips so they can call on the name of the Lord. These believers will serve the Lord shoulder to shoulder with believers from all over. They will worship and bring offerings and they will feel no shame because the Lord will remove the sins from their midst. And they will never be haughty again because they know that the Lord has saved them. Dr. Alan B. Stringfellow in his book, Through the Bible in One Year, a 52-lesson introduction to the 66 books of the Bible, made comment about this section. Here the prophet is not looking within at Jerusalem and Judah, nor looking around at the surrounding nations. He is looking beyond to a time of healing and blessing. Verses 12 and 13 describe the remnant of people that the Lord will save. They will be humble, lowly, do no wrong, tell no lies, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord and not be afraid. Then the book ends with rejoicing. They will shout for joy and triumph. They will exult with all their hearts because the Lord has forgiven them, removed their enemies, and the Lord will be in their midst. I'd like to read verse 17 in the King James Version because of its wording. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Have you ever thought about the Lord God Almighty having so much joy that he is singing over you? I had a friend once tell me that every time she wakes up with a song in her head, she thinks of this verse as if God is singing over her. The last few verses say the Lord will gather the outcasts, save the lame, 
turned shame into praise and renown because all the peoples of the earth will see what the Lord has done when he restores their fortunes before their eyes. We see in this book that the Lord's judgment is coming, but he is also mighty to save. To those who are prideful and do not seek the Lord, even from the tribe of Israel, the day of the Lord is a fearful day. But to those who live by faith and seek him, even those from other nations, it will be a day of salvation. Part of this prophecy was fulfilled when Babylon came and burned the city of Jerusalem and tore down her walls. Part was fulfilled when Cyrus the Persian king allowed the Jews to come back to their homeland and rebuild the temple and the walls. But the part where the Lord has taken away his judgment against you, that happened in the New Testament with Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. When he died on the cross, he took our judgment on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin and our shame. The Old Testament believers had faith in the one who was to come and we have faith in the one who came. And then there is a part that is still in the future. Such as verse 11, you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. And the part that says the remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies and no deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. Verse 13, even believers in Christ still struggle with sin until that day when Jesus comes again. There is a Christian singer named Phil Wickham that has a song called Hymn of Heaven that talks of the day that all believers from all generations will join together and we will all sing that hymn of heaven, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. Ladies, there will be a day. Are you ready? Are you part of the faithful remnant that hears and obeys or not? There really are only two options. If you don't mind today, I'd like to end in prayer. Father God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of hosts, you are just, righteous, holy, good, and so much more. Forgive us of our sin, for our deceitful tongue and our haughty attitudes at times, and when we do wrong. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins and taking our guilt and shame. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives to make us more like you. Help guide us to be the light to the nations, our state, our city, and our neighborhood, that the world may know that there is a God and that the world may know you. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thanks, ladies, for tuning in with me today. And until next time.